I'm so glad that you're joining us today, and Merry Christmas to everyone, a day early. So I am thrilled that you're joining us. And many of you are coming here with family, and you're visiting, and I'm so glad that you're here. And maybe some of you, maybe some of you, uh, you don't have a church home. Now, here's two things that I believe that all of us need. One, all of us need an earthly family. And that's people that love us, that care for us, that can invest in us. But then secondly, we all need a spiritual family. And the spiritual family is connected through Jesus Christ. And so if you do not have a spiritual family, I want to invite you uh, to make North Church your home. And just like any other family, come on, earthly family, we're not perfect. Uh, we don't even claim to be. But you know what? We are family and we stick together. And we love each other through the thick and the thin. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this family that we call North Church. Uh, we meet here at the Oklahoma City location every Thursday night and then every Sunday for 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. And so invite you to come and be a part of what God is doing here. I also want to take just a moment to say uh, just an acknowledgement of some family that we have here that uh, is very precious and dear to us. Our church family at North, we have a couple uh, Matt and Lindsay Nelson that we sent out here several years ago, they were here at the very beginning of North Church 15 years ago. They were here as college students for four years and then pretty much on staff for four years. So their first almost eight years was here. The last seven years, they've been in Tulsa and have started a church called City Church. Actually, they pastor some of my kids. And so I am so glad that they're here. Matt, Lindsay, would you stand over here? I got some of your kids too. Got three of them in the house with you right now. Come on, show them some love. <laughs> and then also it's an honor and privilege to be able to, Shannon, I don't have this very often anymore, is to be able to have all of our kids here at the same time. And so it is an honor to have all of them here. Would you stand, kids? Okay. And so we have Gavin and Haley who live in Tulsa. And then on the far left is Phaedra, and Phaedra now lives in Dallas, and she graduated from ORU and has, works as an accounting firm in Dallas. And Gavin and Haley graduated from Oral Roberts University over two years ago now, I guess. And uh, she works at a place called Rustic Cuff. You ever heard of that? I don't know if you've heard of that. Anyway, uh, some ladies would know. And Gavin's a law student uh, at TU. And then Annabeth is a student at TU studying chemical engineering. So come on, give it up for them. It's good to have them here. Thank you. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And I'm going to look at the book of Luke chapter number two. The book of Luke chapter number two. I want to start with verse number one. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's look at that. It'll also be on the screen so that you can follow along with me. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in cloths and strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there was shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is the key verse. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Two words there, Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. You find that throughout the Gospels. You find it throughout the New Testament. That phrase, Savior, Lord, what does that mean to us today? We see the baby in the manger. We see the cradle. But there was a cross and there was a crown. Father, I pray right now that you speak to all of us. And God, may we leave today transformed by the power of your spirit as we place our faith and trust in you, not just to be Savior, but also Lord of our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk to you today about why Jesus came. Why did he choose that process? There's two things so important is that I want you to understand he came to save us from our sins and he also came to save us from ourselves. Now let me explain that just a little bit. First off in your notes, let's talk about it. Jesus came to save us from our sins, to be our savior, to be our savior. I was reading something this week that kind of amazed me. I knew a little bit, heard a little bit about it, but I read some reports about how the generation that's dying now, okay, in our nation is leaving more wealth than any other generation in the history. I mean, history of world kind. There's a lot of money that, are, that is being passed on to the next generation, which is absolutely awesome. I got to tell you, though, it's not happening in the Fouts family. Okay, it just ain't happening in the Fouts family. But it is. Now, there's a second also issue that's happening. There's more people that are dying with greater amounts of debt than ever before. Now, here's the good news for you. They can't pass that along to the kids. Unless you've co-signed on something, they're not passing the debt on. But let me just say something. That's earthly material stuff. But there is a spiritual debt that's been passed on to us from generation to generation. It goes all the way back to Adam. And that spiritual debt is greater than we can ever imagine. And it's something we can never, ever account for ourselves. It's the spiritual debt of sin. But oftentimes we live our life like we can. Oftentimes we go about life like we can handle that debt. And let me give you a few things that I think happens that we do or that we kind of maybe subconsciously think that if we get this right, we can actually please God, make him happy. Number one, good works. I think that we just kind of think down deep inside that maybe if I just do the right thing. I was thinking about this in regards to a young family. You have a young family with children and somebody walks up to you as a stranger, you have no idea who they are, and that person says, hey, let me just take care of your kids all day. In fact, I'll keep them all night, and you can just kind of go and enjoy, hang out, go, go, go stay at a hotel and enjoy some shopping and all that stuff. What are you gonna tell that person that you don't even know? No way. Absolutely not. You love for somebody to watch the kids, but not that person. Now, if that person begins to give you all the things that they've done and say, look at this, you know, I have a high school degree, I have a college degree, I've had a good job for X number of years, I'm actually a very good person, I've not done anything wrong, you can check my, sheet, my, my record, I, 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 like, I haven't been in jail, I am a superb person. You're still going to look at that person and say, 
No. And here's your answer to them. I don't know you. I don't know you at all. Do you realize on the day of judgment, Jesus said that there will be those that stand before him and they say, did not we do these things? Weren't we good? Look at our works. And he'll say, depart from me. I don't know you. You see, it's not about your good deeds. It's about knowing Jesus. The second thing is this, is good people aren't going to get you into heaven. You can surround yourself with awesome, amazing people. It's not going to get you to heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Surrounding yourself with great people and mentors and leaders and people that you read and study and that you hang out with is wonderful. Matter of fact, you hope that that rubs off on you. You hope you can learn from them. That is incredible. Do that. But don't be, don't be mistaken with that getting you into heaven because you got good parents, because you got good grandparents, because you go to a good church, because, you know, you got some good people you hang around and they are all followers of Jesus and they love Jesus. You know what? It really doesn't matter how close they are to Jesus because you will have to stand before God yourself. Also, good environments. Good environments are not going to get the job done. Now, 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 there's nothing wrong with good environments. In fact, I know of young parents that, man, they, when they have children, the thing that their greatest concern is, is creating an environment that they can have kids grow and be healthy and make right choices. And, and that's great. Matter of fact, you, they'll spend lots of money for private school or, or search out that right public school that they can, they'll even move, they'll move the whole family into another district and sell a home to get somewhere where, the, where they can have the right education. I applaud that. That's great. Some will choose to simply, we're going to homeschool. We want to create the best environment for our kids. Wonderful. Great. Some will choose to go to certain churches and say, I want to be part of that children's ministry or part of that youth group because I want to make sure we create the right environment. Environments at work, environments everywhere. That's all splendid. It's wonderful. Fine and dandy. But I have found this out. I've seen it over and over again. You can raise the kid in the most perfect environment, but the kid still can choose the wrong path in life. Now, the odds are you can help them, but at some point they have to make their own choice. And at some point, all of us have to make our own choice when it comes to our relationship with God because those things can't save us. In Matthew chapter number one, verse number 21, look what it says here. It says, and she, speaking of Mary, will have a son. And you are to name him, say it with me, Jesus. Come on, say it with me, Jesus. And for he will save his people from their, what? Sins. Did you get that? What will save the people from their sins? Good works. What will save the people from their sins? A good environment? Hanging around the right people? No, no, what will save the people from their sins? Who? Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the reason. So, Jesus came to save us from our sins, to be our Savior. Second thing is this. Jesus came to save us from ourselves. Now, this is the one we probably don't think much about because we get so caught up in the first one. To save us from ourselves is to make him Lord of our lives. To save us from our sins, make him Savior. To save us from ourselves is to make him Lord. I know of individuals that, man, they, they love Jesus. Yes, they do. But is Jesus Lord of their life? 
Is Jesus Lord of everything? Come on, is Jesus the one that is driving your financial decisions? Is Jesus the one that's driving your relational decisions? Is he the one that's driving your business decisions? How you handle difficulties? Is he the one you're turning to above everything else? Annabeth has set a record here at North Church. She has made three sermons in a row. Two weeks ago, last week, and this week, she is in week number three. I don't know of a Fouts kid ever doing three in a row, so Annabeth, you hold the record. You other kids better pick it up, okay? Three weeks in a row. So she had her wish list one to get her LASIK eye surgery. Last week, she had LASIK eye surgery. We talked a little bit about that. This week, she can see. I mean, she came out smiling ear to ear because for the most part, she was basically blind. She could not see inches in front of her face without her glasses. And so if there was ever a difficulty, she was in bad shape. If she would ever be stranded, could not get hold of glasses, and she would be in, in, a, in a critical position. So she came out seeing, she was all excited, but there was something that happened when Dr. Bellardo made a statement to her before he went in for surgery. He said, I want you to hear me. Listen closely. And when he said that, and a doctor and a surgeon saying, listen closely, you're like, listen closely, right? He's about to take you in and cut on your eyeballs. It's an important thing. I thought he was going to say, don't move, be still. He said, whatever you do, when we get out of the surgery, do not rub your eyeballs. And I'm talk, don't even do it next week, ever. Avoid rubbing your eyeballs. And he, he said, you, you can kind of wipe the matter, but don't put pressure on your eyes. Don't take and just... Rub your eyeballs like so many people do because that is dangerous for your eyes, especially after having this type of surgery. He said, don't do it. I had never heard that. I was totally astounded. And he kept emphasizing it multiple times. And then finally, he gives an example of a man who came in and had the surgery, came out with the 2015 vision, was doing incredible, but he could not stop the habit of rubbing his eyeballs. And his eyes got worse and worse over a period. He didn't find for a while, and they kept continuing to get worse. And he said, the worst thing you can do for your eyeballs is to rub them. He said, you're about to receive something brand, a new set of eyes. Don't run it. You see, when Jesus came into our life and made us Savior, you know what we became? New in Christ. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. But yet with that newness, sometimes we often ruin it because we do not truly make him Lord of our life. I've heard it said that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And yes, he may be Savior of your life, but are you making him the Lord of your life? Truly surrendered completely to him. And the example has that we get this newness, but yet we run. I, I meet individuals all the time. Yes, they've prayed the prayer. Yes, they've asked Jesus in their heart. But their life is falling apart because they're not following what God has given them. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 says these words. It says, he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for, say it with me, themselves. Instead, they will live for, say it with me, Christ. They will live for Christ. You see, my biggest enemy is not Satan. So many times it's easy for us to blame it on Satan. I'm gonna cast the blame. Satan made me do it. If Satan, he's my enemy. No, 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 no. Satan is not my biggest enemy and he's not your biggest enemy. Sickness is not your biggest enemy. 
Certain people is not your biggest enemy. Circumstances is not your biggest enemy. Situations in life that's out of your control is not your biggest enemy. Your biggest enemy, my biggest enemy, is inside of me, myself. It's my own fleshly desires, my own fleshly wants, my temptations that come to me that I give into. My battle is really not about somebody. It is about not Satan. It's about inside of me, my own selfish decisions. And am I going to truly surrender it all to God? And you know what Jesus has given us? He's given us three incredible things so that we do not have to lose this battle, that we can save ourselves through Jesus. One is he's given us the promises of God. He's given us the promises of God. Those promises are there to save you. Do you realize when Jesus has redeemed you, that he washed you with the word of God and the blood of Jesus, but he is also washing you Not only for salvation, but for sanctification. What that means is to make you more like Jesus Christ. He is cleansing you every day. When you give yourself to the truth of God's word, when you give yourself to his teachings every day and apply them to your life, it is saving you. It's saving you from making dumb choices. It's saving you from making bad lifestyle and relational choices and bad financial choices. I'm not saying everything is going to be perfect and you're going to have life just like amazing when you do everything that Jesus asked you to do. No. Matter of fact, sometimes following Jesus is difficult. It's hard. It's lonely sometimes. But you're going to save yourself from yourself when you choose to obey his word. Secondly is the person of God he's given you. You know who the person of God is? The Holy Spirit. Look at the person next to you and say, the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's, you see, you got God the Father, you heard God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You got God the Father is all around us. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Jesus was God, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God with us. He walked hand in hand. He made his dwelling among us and walked among us. But the Holy Spirit is God in us. That when we press Jesus, profess him as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And there's words that are descriptive of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Look at John chapter 14, 15, 16. It is amazing on the Holy Spirit. Jesus talking. He uses words like this. The Holy Spirit will be a teacher. How many need a teacher every day? Lord, I do. I I need teacher. He says he'll be a counselor. How many would like to have just a counselor that you don't even have to pay for? Just to guide you in decisions. Comforter. He uses that. He'll be a comforter to you. He'll be an advocate. That's another word, descriptive word that's used. And he's going to fight your battles, stand in for you, help you out. I love this last one, friend. Sometimes we just need a friend, don't we? Sometimes we just need a friend. So to save us from ourselves, he's given us the promises of God and the person of God, but he's also given us the people of God. You can write this down. The people of God. I, I don't think we oftentimes, we look like a God just being isolated alone. He's by himself. No, that's not the case. Matter of fact, God has given us the example of community for us to follow. At the very beginning, Genesis chapter number one, it says in the beginning, God, you think it's just God, right there, boom, God. And then he starts saying these terms like, let us create man. Let us do these things. Let us, who is us? Anybody ever read that? You know who us is? God the Father, God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. 
that are working in community together. So God example to us what we should do. And no, not only that, when God sent his son, Jesus, who is God among us, Emmanuel, he exampled community. What did he do? He comes down, he surrounds himself with 12 individuals. And he does life. There's about 70 others he kind of does life with. And then he just begins to show us what it means. That's why all of us, you know what we, when you isolate yourself, when you choose to run from community, Isolation breeds deception. Isolation keeps you from the growing and being all that you can be because you cannot see. You're going to be blindsided. You need, even with the imperfections of the family of God, you need the people of God to grow you and make you who you're meant to be. We need each other. A family of God. Kasia, one of our young staff members who's been attending church here for several years. She graduated from college. And after she graduated from college, we asked her to come on staff. Very talented, gifted, graphic person. Um, I, this week she taught our chapel. On Tuesday mornings, 8.30, we have a chapel service for the staff and she taught that chapel service. From Ephesians chapter number one, verse number 12, it was really good. When she finished up, right there with everybody around, I said, I want your notes. I learned some things. I'm not gonna give you everything that she said, but let me just give you a little snippet of what she said. Here's a picture of her, by the way. This is Kasia. Come on, give Kasia a high five when you see her. She's amazing, amazing young girl. Here's what Kasia said. The other day I was talking with Michelle, who asked me about how people greet each other in my country. I said that Americans ask, what do you do? And in my country, Indonesia, they ask, who are your parents? Sometimes people don't even know me, but they know I am my father's daughter and my mother's daughter. Everywhere I go, it's as if I carry my family name with me. So if I do bad things in public, it's more often than not that it will reflect bad on my parents. People will start saying things like, oh, that mom must have not disciplined her correctly. Or, oh, the parents are acting violent. So that's why she's acting like that. It's ironic that I grew, as I grew up, I was more conscious of representing my earthly family than my spiritual family, the kingdom of God and Jesus. I often forget that I am a representative of God's kingdom. And that what I say and what I do have the potential to change the outcome of somebody's day or even their life. It's like what Pastor Sampson said in one of his sermons. It's easier to say I am a good person than to say that Jesus is God. We are the best living proof of a loving God. And what we do with that status he has given us, speaks volumes, and shows those around us what kind of God we serve. So powerful. How about you today? The question I have for you, will you let Jesus be Savior and Lord of your life this Christmas?